folks that have stuck with us are going to be rewarded because we have a brand that's going to survive. And just to see people exceed gives us a lot of satisfaction as a leadership team is to see all those success stories. So we're not done. We're still here and the story continues. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering theatrical exhibition. Joined once again by our co-host, Rebecca Pauly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro. We've got another interesting episode for you lined up this week. Uh, we have a rundown of the latest news in the theatrical exhibition industry, some updates from major circuits AMC and Marcus Theaters, a full rundown of the weekend box office as Disney's Eternals launches its worldwide campaign in movie theaters, and an interview with the executive team over at Studio Movie Grill, one of the largest cinema dining chains in North America. Rebecca, let's start with the exhibition news. We've got a very interesting piece of news here from AMC, the largest circuit in the world, working together with Disney's streaming service, Disney Plus. They are partnering with Disney Plus to bring to theaters four films from each one of a core set of brands, let's say. So we are talking one film from Walt Disney Animation Studios, a Pixar, a Walt Disney Studios, and a Lucasfilm. Uh, each title is going to play once a day, November 12th, 13th, and 14th, to be preceded by a Disney short. Anyone who goes gets uh, you know, gets some merch, gets some stuff to take home with them. But the things that, that really caught my eye here and are exciting for me is that each ticket is $5 a pop. Um, I think that's that's really interesting as a way for Disney to kind of experiment new ways to get in moviegoers uh, with some different pricing strategies, experimenting with some new things. Not only Disney, Rebecca, but also AMC. If we remember back in October, AMC experimented with this $5 for price screening for horror movies where horror fans would come in midweek, kind of like they are in this week, and be surprised by a different horror movie every, you know, every time you went out there for only a $5 ticket price. It's an interesting experiment that the circuit is continuing here with Disney+. Plus. Clearly it worked well because, yes, of, of those four categories that I mentioned, each of them, it's going to be a surprise movie. You don't know what you're getting uh, before you show up. I, I love a surprise uh, movie. I, lo I love going into a movie theater with literally zero expectations because I don't even know what I'm seeing. As a consumer, I'd like to have a sense of what decade they're pulling from, if, if it's more recent stuff or maybe some of the classics. But, you know, that's me. Well, I, I would hope I can, I can say, as someone that really wanted to see both Soul and Luca on the big screen and wasn't able to, this may be not only my opportunity, but for a lot of folks in the United States, uh, a chance to see either of these titles finally in a big screen. You won't know until you've paid your $5 and sat down and watched the lights dim and be pleasantly surprised. Uh, but actually, that was not the only bit of, of AMC news that we got this week. And, and this one, to our listeners here, Daniel jokingly put in our notes that uh, Rebecca will, will address this news because she is the chief popcorn analyst, and I accept that title. AMC is entering the retail popcorn market. Uh, they're doing this three ways. First, they are going out to like shopping centers and malls, probably where there's not going to be an AMC theater, 
and uh, putting up kiosks where there will be fresh pop popcorn, a couple different flavors and, you know, soda and candy. They're also going to be partnering with home delivery services. So you can just order up fresh pop popcorn from your local theater. And then later on down the line, they're getting into the microwavable popcorn space. It reminds me of a lot of those innovations that we saw in exhibition, particularly when we talk about the home delivery aspect with some of the delivery apps that we're seeing. That's something Mm -hmm. that came out of the pandemic really as a necessity. And we see here AMC continuing this trend moving forward as part of its concession strategy that linking this to the last story that we were talking about with the uh, Disney Plus surprise screenings, the concessions are a big part of those screenings as well, where with every ticket purchase for those surprise Disney Plus screenings, you get an offer for a $5 concession combo. So we see AMC connecting that movie-going experience with a concessions experience, not only in the theater, but now in the home. I think it's a fascinating development. And as you say, they're far from the only chain doing this. In addition to all of the chains and independent standalone theaters that did popcorn delivery or popcorn pickup during the pandemic, uh, Cineplex has has really leaned into it, having partnerships with Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes. Um, We've seen Malco do some experimenting with getting their popcorn into the retail space. I've tasted it. It tastes great. Cineplex in Mexico as well. I remember in my recent uh, interview with them, That's something that really helped them out when Mexican cinemas were closed. It's something that I think internationally movie theaters are looking at very closely. But what's different here is AMC is going to the supermarket. I think that's a a really interesting development. Yeah, and that one of going into with the microwave popcorn, that's kind of, you got the impression reading about this news that that's further on down the line. Uh, It seems like they're starting off with a few kind of pilot locations for the kiosk stores in large shopping centers and then kind of moving on from there. But We'll see. As you know, Daniel, this this time of year, we're seeing a lot of these little news bits come out because it is quarterly earnings season. Uh, to that effect, we had a recent quarterly earnings call from Marcus where we actually had some encouraging data from that chain. That's right, Rebecca. Marcus Theaters uh, now back in the black, significantly outperforming the industry standard by nearly eight percentage points during the third quarter of fiscal 2021 and by six percentage points during the first three quarters of their fiscal year in 2021. Those are great numbers from a circuit that's bouncing back. Uh, you know, it's it's so refreshing after the last year and a half of, of covering these earnings calls to see some, uh, some good balance sheets here. I, I'm just going to put this out there, put it into the universe. I think CinemaCon 2022, day one, Coliseum, Mitch Neuhauser comes out to ACDC's Back in Black with like pyrotechnics coming out, you know, maybe he's just riffing on a guitar. That's what I'd like to see. I don't know. That's that's an idea to our good friends at CinemaCon. Keep that in mind. We'll give you that one for free. Speaking of the industry coming back, uh, we have, oh my goodness, Eternals came out exclusively to big screens. Daniel, we knew this was going to be number one at the box office. It's a Marvel film. Of course it's going to be. And it's not like there are any really new films coming out to, to compete for that spot. So Eternals opened domestically to 71 million and 90.7 international, thinking it's a global cum to 161 million. That 71 was on the lower end of expectations. Really, it's only about four to five million under uh, where Shang-Chi opened. 
Obviously, you know, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Uh, there's a difference, you know, Shang-Chi had better reviews. Eternals has more stars. Eternals is coming out in an era where more people are vaccinated than, than when Shang-Chi. So as always during the pandemic, it's it's hard to really make comparison film to film. Didn't crack 100 million. Didn't really seem uh, seem likely that it was going to be the first film to do it. But with that 71 million opening, it did become the fourth highest opener of the pandemic. It's all about that momentum that you mentioned, Rebecca. I think here we're seeing some of those trends that we've noticed since the tail end of the summer where young audiences are leading ticket sales. The audience demographics here leaning 61% male 18 to 24 year olds combined for 35% of ticket buyers domestically this weekend, 25 to 34 year olds combined for 20%. So combined audiences between 18 and 34 years of age represented more than half of admissions in North America for Eternals. You know, more of the same as we see young audiences really just drive this return to the cinemas. This was on a global level a $161 million debut. It was the second highest global weekend posted by any Hollywood title this year. It's only slightly behind F9, which as you know, Rebecca, had a ton of that money come from China in its opening weekend. Eternals didn't have that advantage. So when we look at that global tally, the numbers are actually quite good. Its top overseas markets after this first weekend are South Korea with 14.4 million the UK with 7.1, France with 6.7, Mexico with 5.7, and finally Australia with 5 million. A good bit of international momentum for this title. One of the the stats that that really interested me uh, looking at the numbers for Eternals is that 11% of its opening weekend domestic cum came from IMAX. You look at that and you compare it to Dune, which was on its opening weekend, was a good 50%, not IMAX, but overarching all PLF. So it's not it's not comparable. But, you know, I do wonder, I mean, this is just me saying anecdotally, Daniel, I was I was telling you offline that my uh, my boyfriend went to see Dune in IMAX on the last possible day he could before Eternals took it over. And it was uh, two o'clock on a Thursday and this gigantic IMAX screening was completely sold out. You wonder if, um, you know, if, if they could keep that gravy train, that, that Dune PLF gravy train uh, rolling a little bit longer there. But Dune, of course, came in second, continuing to have a fairly modest drop. So that's, that's about what we expected it to be. However, uh, we do have a lovely bit of counter-programming in the form of specialty release Spencer, in which uh, Kristen Stewart played the late Princess Diana. It's a film I've been really looking forward to, and uh, Daniel, apparently quite a lot of other people as well. Yeah, it performed rather competitively once we see what those numbers were opening in eighth place in the North American market with 2.1 million from 996 screens. I know, again, it's not a big banner number, but once you look at that per screen average, it's $2,158 per auditorium. That's among the top performers of the weekend. Of course, you know, something like Eternals sold pretty much 
everything that it, that it could have. But after that, Spencer in limited release doing pretty well. Not too dissimilar from how the French Dispatch did in its third expansion, now crossing that 1,000 screen mark. The French Dispatch holding on in its third weekend in North America, finishing in sixth place with a $2.6 million take from 1,205 screens. And when you look at a film like Spencer, it's distributed by Neon, which had such great luck with parasites, specifically with a very slow rollout strategy, letting word of mouth grow, letting customers find this film. It's always something that works with the films of Wes Anderson, uh, including French Dispatch, uh, released by Searchlight. They, they tend to have a really uh, strong results with that kind of uh, gradually spooling it out tactic here. Same can't really be said for, for last night in Soho. Uh, disappointing opening and a disappointing second week as well. That's right, Rebecca. We were talking about these competitive per screen averages for both Spencer and the French Dispatch, both actually with the same per screen average of $2,158 this weekend. Last night in Soho, though, isn't getting that slow rollout. It opened wide last week, underperformed in over 3,000 screens. Unfortunately, it was a big sophomore drop for this title, finishing in 10th place with $1.8 million from 3,016 screens. The per screen average for this title, $597. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, it's, it's a good example of what those risks are in trying to figure out where the specialty market is right now. Do you slowly roll something out the way it's worked for many different years? Or with this new pressure in a shortened exclusivity window that Focus and Universal have, do you roll the dice putting it out wide in week one? It's looking like that really didn't help a title like last night in Soho. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the, the decision of whether to take some of these, let's say, more specialty art house award contender titles and release them wide or go for a, a more a gradual platform release. Next week, we are seeing the release of Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, released from Focus Features. It's certainly been been getting good notices. He is a director who, you know, has a has a standard of quality that you can expect from him. That said, you know, it's it's a it's a black and white historical film set in Ireland. So maybe this one would be one that would have benefited from a more gradual rollout. Um, Focus Features has opted to open it wide. So uh, we'll be keeping our eyes on that one to see how it goes. And you can learn all about our weekend box office forecast this Thursday afternoon on boxofficepro.com to get our tallies on where we expect the weekend to end. Rebecca, I'm just happy that we're seeing a lot of these specialty titles finally hit screens. You mentioned Belfast. I think there's a, a very interesting slate of movies coming out uh, in the coming weeks and months. And let's not forget, once we're looking forward, Probably the movie that I think is a surefire winner for best picture, that's probably going to break that $100 million box office record that we've been talking about. The one night re-release of Rocky IV from Fathom Events coming out this Thursday, November 11th. As someone that loves the Rocky movies, I am fully expecting this to single-handedly uh, save cinema in a way that obviously Christopher Nolan, Tenet, and no other studio could have done. Again, uh, Fathom Events with this uh, very bold step of taking Rocky IV, one of my personal favorite movies, in a way that I, I really think will redefine how we see cinema for the years to come. 
Talking about all of this, Rocky aside, are there any titles that you're looking forward to in, in the coming weeks from this award season that maybe not every exhibitor or not every audience member has in mind? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm pumped from, and, I, and I've been pumped for this since uh, since seeing the very first trailer at CinemaCon. I'm pumped for Cyrano. It's a period drama. It's a musical directed by Drew Wright. His adaptation of, of Pride and Prejudice is my go-to feel-good film. I've, I've probably seen it more than any other movie <laughs> at this point. So that's one. I mean, that's not a four-quantum movie, a costume drama that's also a musical. It's an adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac, you know, but it, it is one that I'm excited it's, it's for. It's got a potential there. I mean, if yeah. you, you look at films in the past, like a, you know, a Downton Abbey or, or uh, some of these films that are uh, maybe geared more towards the adult market. That one does come out uh, in December, I believe the very end of December. So hopefully by that point, the narrative of, oh, adults are slow to come back to the movies. We're looking at more the, you know, young adult graphic uh, for, for movie ticket sales. Hopefully that will have passed by that point. If it doesn't, I'll just need to buy all the tickets for it. So <laughs> I don't doubt you would. Uh, and if we're looking at that December corridor around Christmas, it's really competitive with some very compelling titles. You've got The Tragedy of Macbeth that's coming out from Apple on a three-week exclusive run to cinemas. I saw this at the New York Film Festival. I think it's among the year's best. It's Denzel a great- and Francis McDormand. I mean, oh, they're so good in it. They're so good in it. Of course, it's a black and white Shakespearean uh, drama. It's not going to break, you know, uh, huge records. But I think for a specific type of audience, this is a perfect film for that holiday corridor. Also, in Christmas, we've got Paralleled Mothers from Pedro Almodovar, the Spanish uh, filmmaker. I spoke with him for our next print uh, edition. Rebecca, this is one of his better films, I think, in his career. I'm excited for that to hit theaters. You saw that too, right? Oh, just absolutely exceptional. It's it's a it's a performance actors movie. Um, you know, some other stuff I'm excited about coming up. We have uh, in late November we have Licorice Pizza, the new film from Paul Thomas Anderson, House of Gucci. Looking forward to that one. Benedetta, uh, which we've discussed on the podcast earlier. And then, I mean, West Side Story. I feel like I I need, the world needs a big Spielberg spectacle. You know, I'm I'm really interested to see how that turns out coming out on December 10th. The same date that another movie that I really liked is coming out, Red Rocket uh, from director Sean Baker and A24 coming out on December 10th. Another very fun title uh, at the movies for more adult audiences. Just a a great slate here of award contenders for the rest of the year for diverse audiences to to enjoy. I would be remiss not to mention, not not exactly an awards contender unless you're looking at some of the technical categories, but um, seeing as our chief analyst, Sean Robbins, could not be with us this week, I do have to mention Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which Sean has has consistently labeled as this is the film that's going to be the, the highest grosser of the year. He, he really has high hopes for that one um, in terms of box office. And it does look like a lot of fun. December 17th, uh, coming only to theaters. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I think I think Sean has a great hunch in this being probably the biggest opening weekend of the year. And it gives audiences a little bit of everything as we finish a transition year here in exhibition, a year of recovery that started with some very difficult months in January, not that many titles out, capping off a December season with a great diversity of titles. 
And one of those circuits that's going to be benefiting from all of these different genres and styles of movies hitting the big screen this holiday season is Studio Movie Grill. Rebecca, you spoke with a team of executives over there about how their business is doing coming out of the pandemic. What were some of your insights? Well, actually, that was one of the things uh, we discussed was this uh, glut of films coming out throughout the holiday season. And, you know, whether that poses a challenge is really great to talk to this trio of executives, uh, those being Ted Croft, the relatively new CEO of Studio Movie Grill. Previously, he was their COO, CFO. And then I was also able to speak to Ted Lowe, their VP of Brand and Marketing, and Tierlock Hutchison, their VP of Film. It was good to catch up with this chain considering uh, the tumultuous year and a half they've had being one of the largest uh, chains to file for Chapter 11 over the course of the pandemic. But um, yeah, they're, they're bouncing back and they are ready to enter into Q4 2022. Ted, Ted, and, and Tierluck, thanks so much uh, for joining us. So yes, I mean, I hate to ask about a Chapter 11 question first, but I just want to get it out of the way. Ted, could you talk a bit about the changes that, that you made are going to really set it up for a stronger future coming out of the pandemic? Sure. You know, as you can imagine, Chapter 11, you know, it's tough on all parties, right? Just Chapter 11 going through, it's tough on tough on the company, tough on your vendor partners. If you kind of turn it around and say, you know, kind of the glass half full what it does enable you to do, you know, we talk about that's exactly what it is, restructure, right? Mm-hmm. So we're able to, you know, thankfully with the lending partners that we had, you know, with Goldman Sachs and Crestline, uh, they were our, our partners prior to the filing and they stuck with us and they they believed in this leadership team, believed in the brand, funded our way through the bankruptcy and actually will be funding us, you know, post-emergence, which obviously happened in April. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you talk about the glass half full, you're able to you know, we came out with, you know, our strongest locations. So we have, you know, today we have 19 of our strongest locations. Um, we'll have two more uh, that will open this fall. And so when you come out on the other side, you said, okay, these are our top performing locations. Uh, we were able to, I'd say, recast a lot of our, you know, contracts. So you're able to kind of review every single contract in the company. And you come out with a much stronger balance sheet. Um, we also came out with a reduction, obviously our GNA you know, with less stores, we have, you know, less overhead. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the smart thing that Goldman and Crestline did during that time, during the pandemic and even during the bankruptcy was, you know, they kept the top performers. And I don't mean just the stores, I mean our top performers in the field and our top performers at the home office, they funded that. And so keeping folks around, I think, set us up for a much more positive exit and emergence and especially as the guests start to come back to Studio Movie Grill, I think it positioned us extremely well to be ready for the guests that are coming back to the theaters. I think that was a very smart decision that they made way back when. Uh, we wouldn't be sitting here today without them. And I think it just sets us up. The balance sheet is stronger. You know, we have our top performing locations and we have our top team performers as well. So I think we're set up for success. The impression that I got, and and I'm not sure how on target this is, but coming into 2020 before everything got so awful, you know, SMG, you'd gotten financial backers, really just kind of seemed like an, like an issue of unlucky timing in a way. It, it, it was. It, it was very unfortunate. I think the 10 you're referring to is probably over a two-year period. So when it kind of yeah. all hit, we had 32 open, five under construction. The timing was just unfortunate because, I mean, we were just rocking along. 
So 30, yeah, 32, five under construction. We had a remodel in progress. We had other remodels scheduled for the year after. Um, and yeah, you had, mo- had, you had money out there and you did not expect to come along and that's, <laughs> bring that's everything exactly to right. It just hit yeah. like a ton of bricks. And again, that's one of the unfortunate casualties of the pandemic uh, and, and the bankruptcy is unfortunately some of those, those sites that we had in our construction, you know, are no longer going to be part of Studio Movie Grill. Over the next few months, the schedule is just jam-packed. Sherlock, what is your approach to programming for SNG now? And has it differed? Because that has to be quite the jigsaw puzzle to be dealing with right now. I don't necessarily consider it to be a jigsaw puzzle. I think that the, the, the difference between pre-pandemic, during pandemic, post-pandemic is we're really focusing more on how our pre-pandemic models were and how mm-hmm. that worked. I don't see it as a jigsaw puzzle. I see there's a lot of great films that are coming out at the end of the fourth quarter. It's going to be uh, that with all these great films coming out, we're going to really have to focus on uh, giving them the legs that they deserve and making sure that they stay on screen as, as long as we possibly can. I think that's one of the biggest dilemmas that we're going, going to have uh, with this onslaught of films. Now, Ted Croft, as, as we move past that onslaught of films and hopefully all the ticket sales they generate for the industry, and things start settling more into a sort of uh, quote-unquote normal cadence, what are some of the things that uh, Studio Movie Grill has started doing over the past two years or maybe considered or experimented with that you think has long-term viability for the chain? Well, I think the obvious answer is more tech, you know, the technology based. And I'm actually going to have Ted Lowe talk a little because he's so close to it, even closer than I am, talk a little bit about our, you know, kind of technology enhancements. Rebecca, you know, I think to, to answer that question, there was a way to SMG, you know, pre-pandemic. You know, we, I spent a decade here telling you, you know, kick your feet back and push a button and we'll do all the work, right? And then, you know, I think just the the environmental circumstances around us affected how people, you know, people's comfortability with doing that. So we, like so many others, kind of took on what I call some um, catastrophe innovation. And we quickly fast-tracked, you know, getting food and beverage onto our mobile app. And we quickly fast-tracked a more robust kiosk experience. And so do I think those things are fully optimized today on the call with you? No, I don't. I think there's opportunity to continue to make them better. But I think what we're learning from our guests, particularly through feedback, we've expanded our surveys and we've expanded our net promoter score reach so that we can get more and more transparency into that kind of feedback. And maybe just on that topic, Rebecca, not just feedback from people that didn't have the experience we wanted, but feedback from people that had the experience they wanted so that we can learn from both sides. And the feedback you know that we're getting is that there's still a, a propensity to want to do full service but there's also a group of people you know that are gaining in market share by every period that just have a propensity for wanting to do technology based service and so i think you know the brand is taking a hard look at what we're calling high touch and low touch opportunities there are certain points where low touch i.e. high technology can service the the customer, the guest better than we can. And then in certain places where hospitality really rings out and we live out opening hearts and minds one story at a time on on a day part by day part basis, we still want that customer and team member interaction. And so we're balancing that. And I do think that's part of what that future looks like a lot because that's what was handed to us. That's what has to happen. And then a lot because we realize that there are continuous ways to optimize the experience. I think any in-theater dining concept would share the same heartburn with you with respect to when we do checks and when we pay out, you know, and that typically happening during the climax of the movies. And that's not that's not unique to Studio Movie Grill. That's that's a reality for all of us. And so we're constantly taking a look 
at how to make it better. Because, you know, in this golden age of content, you know, mentioning Netflix earlier and so on, the, the movie going experience now has to be bigger than just going to see the movie. It's got to be experiential. And if we can't figure out how to dial into the experience, then we do become an archaic business model. Because at the end of the day, it's got to be worth getting you off your couch and getting you into the theater and getting you into an experience that provides that kind of quality value equation that you were looking for, you know, that makes you feel good about the money you spent and the time that you were away from home. And that's kind of where we're doubling down. And technology is obviously not unique to SMG. Everybody's probably got some version of that. But that's something we're paying attention to. And when Ted says, you know, we want to get back to basics and keep it simple, we think that's what the customer wants. We were the first in the space. We want to be the best in the space. And we're just going to get back to doing what we're good at doing. Moving forward, once everybody gets vaccinated, once the pandemic's over, what is your vision for your version? So, you know, I, the way I look at it kind of in the former role was there was a lot of support of the the vision of the brand and that and a lot of the focus was on the interaction with you know investors and and spending a lot of time on that side now in a new role i think it's just it's not just me it's the entire leadership team i think it's i think we're all taking a much more i think the best way to say it enhanced kind of awareness of the guest experience you know i think i'm fortunate enough to know because our lending partners are the same that we know each other so well. And that was a big part of, you know, kind of taking on this role was that I just, we just know each other so well. They know the brand. Um, we feel like that we all know the brand extremely well. So that kind of frees up, you know, time and space to be able to focus on the day to day. And again, like I talked about that guest experience, because I think that, you know, our role is, you know, a little bit cliche, but, you know, just kind of protectors of the brand because they stuck with us because they believe in the brand. That's why they stuck with this. That's why they're putting more money into Studio Movie Grill. And so I don't think we're here just to maintain. I, I, that's not why we're here. You know, we are going to, you know, as the guests start to come back, I already mentioned earlier, I feel like that we're just in a great position to be able to accept all these guests as they come back and give them a great experience. But we will, like I said, not to just maintain, we will take advantage of any kind of opportunistic growth opportunities. We just believe that coming up, over the next, doesn't matter, six, 12 months, we are looking at, you know, I'm spending, I've been asked to spend a portion of my role looking at potential growth opportunities for, for Studio Movie Girl. And so we do believe very strongly those opportunities are going to present themselves uh, in the near future. And, and so that's what we're going to focus a lot of time on. So I think the biggest change, like, you know, to answer your question directly, really focused on the guest experience and opportunistic growth opportunities. And then just really our, our leadership team giving our field every tool that they need uh, to deliver that guest experience. We've spoken sort of a, outside this, this interview a bit about this industry and how it really is one of storytelling, uh, not just the films themselves, but the marketing of those films and uh, the marketing of the movie going experience. Given that, and given the, uh, absolutely horrific year and a half that this industry has gone through. A particularly transformative time for Studio Movie Grill in particular. You know, as you move into uh, the latter part of 2021 and then into 2022, uh, what is Studio Movie Grill's story going to be? You know what the story is going to be? And, and this is straight off. Of, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great question and a tough question. I think the question, this is just coming straight from my initial gut reaction is that we made it. 
and we survived and we're still here. And we were a great brand going in and we're a great brand coming out. And the story's not done. I think that might be just to say, you know, the SMG story is not done. I said it earlier, we're not here just to maintain. We're here to continue the story. As, you know, as we grow, it creates opportunities. I mean, just recently, we've had some internal promotions that have happened. Just as we continue those things, we continue that story. We've had some promotions in the field, people well-earned, people that stuck with us during this pandemic have been promoted into leadership positions. That's the stuff that keeps us going. Those are the stories that we love, that the, that the folks that have stuck with us are gonna be rewarded because we have a brand that's gonna survive, the story's gonna continue, and just to see people exceed and kind of enrich their own lives, I think gives us a lot of satisfaction as a leadership team is to see all those success stories. So we're not done, we're still here and the story continues. Thanks again to our colleagues over at Studio Movie Krill and our co-host Rebecca Polly. I am Daniel Loria and this has been another episode of the Box Office Podcast produced in collaboration by Box Office Pro, the box office company, and Record Edit Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe and tune in next Thursday for a new episode of the Box Office Podcast. Thanks for listening.